0: Good morning. hope everybody's doing good. Um, it's, it's good to be here. It's a blessing uh, to be here. It's a privilege and honor to come before you uh, with an open Bible. And I just want to speak on the humble and the exalted cross. Um, and today I will be in Philippians chapter 2. Verses 5 through 11. It says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So I hope uh, by the end of this message, we're better able to see um, how to live the humble life uh, Jesus has called us to by looking at his example um, and his life. First Peter chapter two twenty one says, for to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. To live a life of humility that God has called us to will require suffering, but for his sake, it is always worth it. So just before this passage, you see verses 3 and 4. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. So we're called to place others above us, uh, in a sense, looking out for their needs, um, not thinking so much of ourselves, being humble, thinking of others, what they may need. To do this requires the grace of God in our lives. And keeping our focus on the ultimate showing of grace and humility, we will see as Paul lays out these amazing truths about our Lord and Savior. Verse 5 says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Paul knew that the ultimate example of selfless humility was Christ, who was always thinking and doing for others rather than himself. Jesus says in, in exa- just a few verses of examples of this, Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29, Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, you will find rest for your souls. So Jesus was gentle, and he was lowly in heart. John 13, 12 through 17, we see Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. For I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet. You also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Uh, To follow Jesus uh, is to wash feet, Um, not as a ritual, but in humble acts of kindness. For others. Uh, You also say, see, here at the end, he says, Blessed are you if you do them. So if you if you act in obedience uh, to doing humble acts of kindness for others, for the Lord's glory, he says you will have joy. Um, For the Christian, that's where our joy is found, is in obedience to the Lord and how he says uh, we should live. So verse six says Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God? So we see this is talking about Jesus being in the form of God, also not considering it robbery to be equal with God. So he was in the form of God. He was also equal to God. So Jesus is not just a good example um, or just even a good way to live, uh, which you could look at it that way. But he was so much more. Paul is affirming here that Jesus has eternally been God. Um, so Jesus has always been. Um, he wasn't just, just born one day and then became. He has always been. Sure. Um, you can look at all serious historians, uh, even atheists, those who live their lives to disprove God. Um, if they're serious about being a historian at all, they will all tell you the same thing Jesus was a man, Jesus died on the cross. Jesus taught great morals. Uh, He was a great teacher in general. Uh, His teachings turned the world upside down. Uh, These things can't be denied. If you look at other religions throughout the world, they will all give some type of uh, explanation for Jesus. Everybody's talking about Jesus. He, He was the enlightened one, some religions say. He was... He was a God, the Hindus say. Even the Pharisees, who did not believe he was the coming Messiah, said he was a teacher and a preacher of Jewish law. Um, all, nearly all religions will say that Jesus was maybe a prophet sent from God, but they will not give him his true honor and glory, um, who he says he is in Scripture. So if you see all of these things and everybody's got an explanation for Jesus, supposedly, wouldn't it be important to look into who Jesus said he is according to scripture? Uh, who, let's listen to who Jesus uh, says he is. Uh, here, at the, here at Mount Zion Baptist Church, we believe in the Trinity. Um, it's not because we like to get together and we want to group think and think the same way so you know, we might can all have this club. Uh, we believe in the Trinity because it's Scripture. It comes from the Holy Word of God. Um, that's why we believe in the Trinity. And one of the best explanations for the Trinity that has kind of stuck out for me is God is a relationship. The Father, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They are distinct in person. They are distinct in their roles, but they are essentially one God. They are a relationship and they are God. We crave relationships. That's what we do as people. Our problem is we just crave relationships with all the wrong things or people. Um, That's that's our problem. We can only truly be satisfied in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And then when you come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, then and only then have you come to God. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and none come to the Father except through me. So this is how we come into this relationship with God. is through Jesus. And now we're going to look at Scripture. Um, Uh, To back this up John chapter 1 Verses 1 through 4 And 14 We see First I'm going to go To verse 14 And the word became flesh And dwelt among us So we know Jesus became flesh And Jesus dwelt among us So the word is Jesus And we beheld his glory And the glory as of the only begotten Of the father Full of grace and truth That's who Jesus is Every Everyone can admit, just by looking at his teachings, he's full of grace and truth. Um, That's Jesus. Um, We can look back and see those things. So, verses 1 through 4, we see, in the beginning was the Word. So, you can say, in the beginning was Jesus. And the Word was with God. You can say, and Jesus was with God. And you can say, or it says, and the Word was God. So, you can say, and Jesus was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. John 8, 58. Jesus said to them, he's talking to the Pharisees here, who are, and he's trying to explain to them, I have always been. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they're thinking, Abraham lived 2,000 years ago. How are you claiming that before him, I am? This this makes no sense. And Jesus is trying to explain to them that exactly, um, I have been one with God. I have always been. So what do they do? They understand this. They pick up rocks and stones, and they try to stone him. They understand that this is, in their view, blasphemy, unless he really was God in the flesh. It also, just a little side point, um, when they said to Jesus, uh, how can you say that you were before Abraham, you barely, or you don't even look 50. Well, Jesus was only 33, so it makes me wonder if he was a little offended. Um, like, well, guys, I'm only 33, 30, of course I'm not 50. I don't know. Just, maybe Jesus got a little offended there. Um, Colossians 1. 15 or 17 says, "He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn. That word firstborn in the Greek means refers it refers to uh, not birth, but rank over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. So if that word, which some people try to use as see, Jesus was just the firstborn. If if that's the case, then it goes on to say, for by him all things were created that are in the heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. So, so that would be like saying, as soon as Jesus was born, he created all things. And that makes no sense. Uh, so you have to look at the Greek interpretation of that word uh, in Scripture. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 who being the brightness of his glory and express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So this is speaking to him being the expressed image of God. That's who Jesus was. That's who he claimed to be. Robbery here in this verse translated to mean grasped or held onto. Though Jesus had all the rights, privileges, and honors of divine nature, his attitude was not to cling to those things or his position, but to be willing to give them up for a season for us. Equal with God in this verse, uh, the Greek word equal defines that things that are exactly the same size, quantity, quality, character, and number. Equal with God. Jesus is equal to God and constantly claimed to be during his earthly ministry. So I'll just a few verses that speak to Jesus uh, claiming this. John five eighteen. Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. John 10, 33. The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you, being a man, make yourself God. So these Pharisees who have studied the Old Testament understand what Jesus is telling them. John 10, 38. But if I do... Though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and believe that the Father is in me, and I in Him. So Jesus is saying, if you don't want to believe what I'm telling you with my mouth, believe the miracles. Believe the man who got a who's crippled all his life. Believe the man who had never seen and now he sees. Believe the man with leprosy and now he's completely healed. Believe the miracles. In one of the gospels, it says we the Bible couldn't even hold all the miracles Jesus did. So. We don't even know all the miracles that the Pharisees saw. They still were not willing. Uh, matter of fact, they said that it was demonic, even though he's healing people out of love. They just did not want to admit who Jesus was saying he was. John 14, 9, Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So here we see Philip. Hey, little buddy. Asking asking Jesus, let us see the Father. We believe what you're telling us. We believe who you are. Uh, We believe you're sent from God. We we believe we're following you. We are believers. But if you could just show us the Father, then we'll really, then we'll we'll know. We'll show us the Father. And Jesus just says, have I been with you so long? If you have just, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. He's trying to get them to see the bigger picture. John 20, 28. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. So Thomas was a believer. He followed Jesus faithfully. But he was having trouble with his faith. So he just asked Jesus, Can I touch you? Jesus says, Yeah. Go ahead, Thomas. Touch me. So he touched me. And he says, My Lord and my God. So Thomas finally gets it. Uh, Verse 7 says, But made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. Also phrased in many Bibles, uh, made himself of no reputation means he emptied himself. He was not forced. This was a self-renunciation. He was not emptying himself of divine nature, nor in exchange of divine nature for humanity. Jesus did, however, set aside privileges in several areas when he came down and took on the flesh. One of those areas, he gave up his heavenly glory. While on earth, he gave up the glory of a face-to-face relationship with God and the continuous, continuous outward display and personal enjoyment of that glory. We see this example in John seventeen five. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. This is just before the cross. This is just before Jesus went to the cross to die for our sins. Uh, His work was complete, and he knew, looking forward, he would be glorified again with the Father. Another thing he gave up when he came down, independent authority. The Son completely submitted himself to the will of his Father. Here's some verses that it, touch on that. How he completely submitted himself to the will of the Father. Matthew 26, 39. He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, "O oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. I think maybe we all can admit that uh, our prayers need a, a few more "nevertheless." Nevertheless, you know, let your will be done. John 5:30. Jesus says, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is righteous. Because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Uh, Jesus also gave up eternal riches. When he came down, while on earth, Christ was poor and owned very little. Second Corinthians eight, nine says, for we know the verse, er, for we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes, he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. So I know there's prosperity gospels out there that like to say, because Jesus went broke, now I can have money. That is not what that verse is saying. It's so much better than that. Um, Jesus gave up heavenly riches. So we could gain heavenly riches. He gave up eternal life uh, for a season. Uh, He gave up... uh, He he came so we could have salvation. Um, That is these riches that are being talked about here. It's, It's so much better than money. Matthew 27... Says, and about 27-46 40, says, and about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Second Corinthians five twenty-one says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's because he loves us. The word bond servant in this verse in 7 actually means slave. Jesus submissively did the will of his father. You see Paul call himself a bondservant of Jesus submissively doing his will. So in Paul doing the will of Jesus it was the same as Jesus doing the will of God. Paul was doing the will of God because he was doing the will of Jesus. He came in the likeness of man we see in this verse. Although he was God in the flesh He took on all the essential attributes Of humanity So we have a savior who took on The attributes that we have Uh, Luke 2.52 says And Jesus increased in wisdom And stature And in favor with God and man We increase in wisdom and stature Hopefully we are Um, And in favor with God and men So what he come to do Bring men to God It's always been his purpose and in every way. Galatians 4.4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. So just like us, Jesus was born under the law. But he never sinned. I think like a side story or a side example here uh, that Jesus never sinned. His brother, James, and Jude went. They were not believers in the beginning. They became believers, and they went and died for their faith. Well, I think y'all know as well as I do that if anyone knows any of the wrong you did, it was your family. Uh, Especially when you were younger, they know the wrong you're doing now. They know probably the wrong you're going to do in the future. Your, Your family knows you best. So James and Jude being the brothers of Jesus, don't you think if they would have saw Jesus' sin one time, they would have called it all off? They would have have been like, no, guys, we saw him. We grew up with him. I remember on my 10th birthday, he stole my slingshot. He shot me in the back of the head, and he lied to our parents about it. I remember it clear as day. He sinned. I'm not following him. But what we can historically and factually look back and see that the brother of James went and died for his faith in his brother, believing he was the spotless lamb of God. If that don't speak to the righteousness of Jesus Christ and our ability to want to trust in his righteousness, I don't know what will. Um, But to me, that is just amazing. He grew up with Jesus. Believed he was the, uh, the spotless uh, lamb of God. Uh, that he died on the cross for his sins. Placed his faith in him. And went and died for him. So what a testimony Jesus' brother has. So in this verse we see, because he came in the likeness of man, he also could identify with basic human needs and weaknesses. Uh, this is uh, very powerful very thankful for this verse. 4, 5, uh, Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus can sympathize with us in all of our weaknesses, in all areas of life. For a, a human example type-wise. When we're going through something really bad, say death in the family, sickness, uh, great financial loss, things that we just think we can't overcome, um, and we're just never going to see the light at the end of the tunnel, when we go through these things, when we find someone who's been there where we've been, that's the one we listen to. That's the one we find comfort in. That's the one we ask Uh, To comfort us, to explain things to us. How did you get through it? What did you do? Um, uh, You're still here, so I know that I'll be able to possibly make it through this. Uh, So you're always all ears and you're ready to be comforted by what that person is ready to tell you. Well, we have that and so much more in Jesus uh, because he can sympathize with us because he came down. He ate, he drank, rested, slept, Went through tremendous physical pain, increased in wisdom, cried, got mad, loved, was grieved, showed compassion. Charles Spurgeon, Spurgeon says, the sympathy of Jesus is, next, is the next best thing to his sacrifice. It has been to me, in seasons of great pain, relatable comfort to know that in every pain which racks his people, the Lord Jesus has a fellow feeling. We are not alone, for one like unto the Son of Man walks the furnace with us. He walks with us through all of our trials and all of our problems. It also in this verse is specifically talking about our weakness with sin. Uh, Jesus was also tempted. But you might think, how can Jesus relate to sin when he was perfect? He never sinned. Well, he went to the cross And took on all the sin of the world Upon himself So he is able to sympathize with us In our weaknesses With sin Don't ever let sin And our weaknesses stop us From coming to Jesus And asking him to forgive us Confessing our sin to Jesus Asking him to forgive us And then trusting in him to give us the ability To overcome that Because he sympathizes Yet he is the reason we can overcome Jesus is he comforts us. He's there for us. It's what he came to do. Um, so of course, that's what he does. Uh, in eight, uh, verse eight says, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Being found in the appearance of man. Uh, we see a verse here that speaks to that, John 6, 42. And they said. Is not this Jesus, this is the Pharisees, is it not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then he says, I have come down from heaven? I mean, this guy looks like a regular Job. Like, There's nothing special looking about this guy. Uh, but he came in the appearance of a man. Um, it says he humbled himself. After humbling himself and taking on the flesh, Jesus further humbled himself in that he did not even demand normal human rights, but subjected himself to persecution and suffering at the hands of unbelievers. Isaiah, in the Old Testament, looking forward, explains this perfectly. Uh, It's chapter 53, verse 7. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, he was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. That's talking about Jesus. First Peter chapter 2, 23 says, Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return? When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. But one of the ultimate forms of of humility, People revile against us. Jesus never reviled back. That's putting other people before yourself, understanding that maybe they don't know the Lord. And you can show forgiveness and love towards them and pray that they see the love of Christ in you. It says, and became obedient to the point of death. Beyond even persecution, Jesus went to the lowest point or furthest extent in his humiliation and dying as a criminal, following God's plan for him. In Acts chapter 2 verse 23, Peter, who denied Jesus three times, ran away after he was crucified, saw the resurrected Jesus, was saved, and now this is him preaching. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. You have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. So although he could not be held by death, praise the Lord, he did indeed die. It says even the death of the cross. Even further humiliation was because Jesus' death was not by ordinary means. but but was accomplished by crucifixion. The cruelest, most excruciating, most degrading form of death ever devised. Verse 9 says, Therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. So God highly exalted him. Christ being exalted was foretold. The early sermons of the apostles affirm his resurrection and his position at the right hand of God and allude to his intercession for believers. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Acts chapter 5, verse 30, The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom he murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Hebrews 7.25 says, Therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest is fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. If you ever feel like you've gone too far or you've done too much and you're you're unsavable because of those things, I just want you to understand that it is not because of you that you could ever be saved. It is because of faith in Jesus Christ his perfect life, his death on the cross for your sins so you could be forgiven, and that he has raised up from the dead three days later and he lives today. It is faith and faith alone in him and nothing you ever did could earn him or nothing you could ever do could take it away. It says he saves to the uttermost. And if you're a believer here today and you feel like you could lose your salvation, or that you might have lost your salvation, he says, I am able to save to the uttermost. Uttermost. That's wonderful news. Uh, it says here, given him the name which is above every name. Verse 10 that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under earth. That's everybody. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory and God the Father. One, de- one day every knee will bend. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You can either do it willingly and blessedly, gaining heaven. Or you can either do it unwillingly, painfully, earning a devil's hell. But you will bow and you will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I hope and pray as believers here today, we will see the humility shown by Jesus. And it motivates us to put others before ourselves and come down off our high horse, guilty. And start walking in good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And if there's any unbelievers here today, I pray that you see Jesus in all his splendor. See your great need for a Savior. Trust in him for the forgiveness of your sin. Trusting in his perfect word so that you can be saved and have that personal relationship with God that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And he will save you to the uttermost. That's all I have here today. Scotty, if you don't mind uh, just playing a song. Uh, if, if anybody needs Jesus in any way, um, I know there's they're doing remodels, so there's not technically an altar here. Um, but if you need him in any way, you can come here or you can sit right where you're at and you can talk to the Lord who's omnipresent. He's all-knowing. He's, all, he's everywhere all at once. He is God speak to him anytime. Let him know your concerns.